can be found on her website, anealockwood.com. I uh, recommend you go and take a listen. She's um, fascinating. Up next uh, is at 10 is Poetic License, so please stay tuned. This is KBOO Portland, listener-powered, non-corporate community radio. We have this monthly film series at the Clinton Street Theater. We call it KBOO at the Clinton. This month's film is Plant This Movie. It screens on Thursday, May 11th at 7 p.m. Plant This Movie explores the zeitgeist of urban farming from around the world, from Havana to Shanghai, from New Orleans to Portland, Oregon. The filmmaker will be present. Again, that's Plant This, Thursday, May 11th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater, 2522 Southeast Clinton Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right-hand side of the home page under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of History, an enlightening story of hip-hop. Saturday, May 6th at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday, May 7th at 3 p.m. at BodyVox in Portland. The Love for Urban Art Dance Company will share an emotional historical journey of obstacles endured to create the crucial building blocks that has led to the success of hip-hop today. Again, that's History, an enlightening story of hip-hop, Saturday, May 6th at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday, May 7th at 3 p.m. at BodyVox, 1201 Northwest 17th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Good evening. It's 10.01 and you're listening to KBOO in Portland. Time for Poetic License with Taria Autry. And uh, we're replaying a special program from last fall with Boots, so uh, stay tuned. This program is made possible by KBOO members and a grant from Portland 5, presenting the Django Festival All-Stars on Thursday, June 15th at the Winningstad Theater. This group of hot jazz swing musicians from Europe carry on the legacy of guitarist Django Reinhardt. Tickets for this all-ages event on June 15th with the Django Festival All-Stars are available now at portland5.com. On a dotted, billionaires have squatted on the magna cum laude. Holla, take my wallet, make the people robotic, catatonic or harmonic with what they've been allotted. And methodically, they plotted against those who fought it. Whole cities are haunted, cause some money bag nodded and dropped the thought product of a Harvard grad upon it. Dollars turn the table, boardroom and periodic. Listen to the sonnets going through your electronics. You could catalog it as harmonic or atomic, how they never went up. I'm in molecules turning to solids. Some pray to the Christ, like the Buddha of Muhammad. Some pray to the crack of a rich man's pocket. The biggest advance was plumbing to the projects. Now the scientific process got hijacked for profits. And flows in the direction that a silver spoon product will get signs for the people when we run the economics. Not the science. 
tuned in to KBOO Portland. This is Poetic License, and I am your host, Taria Autry. This episode, I have a great special guest, the one and only Boots from the Coup. We're going to be chopping it up, talking about music, life, the art, revolution. It's going to be a great show. You're going to be glad that you listen. That fantastic song you're hearing in the background is The Gods of Science, off their latest album, Sorry to Bother You. Boots, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to make some time for this interview. It's so wonderful to have you on this episode of Poetic License. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. And... You know, we've known each other a long time. Uh, we met back in the day, the early 90s at San Francisco State. Yeah. And I have these great memories of being in my dorm room, bumping the EP, which was on a cassette tape. Classic oh, times. Yeah. Yep. So the first album, you asked me to play violin. You were on our first album. Which? Which came after the EP. Yes. Yeah, so which I appreciate, and I remember being in the studio and the song was actually I Know You, which was off Kill My Landlord, and that song talks about police brutality, self-defense, and resistance, and shortly after we recorded that song, the incident happened with Rodney King where the public saw a videotape repeatedly of police brutality. So yeah. here we are, almost 25 years later, and police brutality is still a very present reality and concern. I'm just curious, can you talk to me a little bit about why you think that's the case? Well, uh, because police brutality is, is connected to the function of the police. It's not something that can go away on its own. The function of the police, you know, because you know, I've, I've always said that you know, I'm against the police, even if they, you know, even if they give you a massage and uh, and shake your hand before they send you to jail. That's their the the their their reason for being is an occupying force, and and the police brutality is just symptomatic of that and, and inseparable. Uh, but point is, is that there can only be so many people employed under the capitalist system and the, and there has to be a certain amount of uh, unemployed labor that can form this unemployed army in order to threaten those with jobs uh, with being able to lose their job for instance if there was full employment you would not be able to you, you'd be able to demand whatever wages you want wanted and the boss couldn't say, you know, there's someone else coming along to take your job. So this system must operate with unemployment. And that group of folks are going to also need to eat. So in a capitalist system, that means illegal business because there's no other way to uh, survive from, for many people. Yeah. Cocaine business control America. Ganja business control America. KRS one still causing hysteria. Illegal business control America. Diamond business control America. The oil business control America. KRS one still causing hysteria. Illegal business control America. So the the policing of this illegal business is all about you know how it connects to the rest of the system, how it connects to legal business. And and even when, and even the policing for burglaries and uh, you know robberies, that has to do with keeping this economic system in place. So you're going to have police brutality as long as you have police. It's, you know, to me, just having so many people of color locked up is, an even bigger problem than police brutality. The point is, if, you've, if you're telling the whole world that crime, 
comes from people making bad choices as opposed to what it really comes from is people needing to survive under this system. The reason for the painting of what's called crime as being a choice by an individual is so that we don't see that it's connected to this economic system. And part of the painting of that as a choice means that you have to say that, hey, here's this group of people that are making the wrong choices all the time. They're savage, they're brutal, this and that. That's part of selling us the capitalist system. And if they didn't, then we'd understand that poverty comes from this system, not from our own choices. And so those without jobs and with jobs might organize to change the way the system works. So you're gonna have police brutality as long as you have this system it's not going to go away and in, until we have a, a different economic system besides that the only way that we have power over any of these factors is by using our actual economic power under this system and that i don't mean boycott because it's, you can't really exercise your power in that way. You don't know who's buying what, and it's kind of like an opt-in situation. The most effective way to have, uh, to, to have groups of people have economic, exercise their economic power in this system is to have strikes and work stoppages. And until we do that, none of the things, no matter how much we voice our disdain for the way things are, those things aren't gonna stop. We can't just guilt those in power into doing the right thing. We have to have organizations and a movement that is able to get masses of people to withhold labor and stop profit in order to demand different changes that we want, even reform changes that we want. Until we start having a movement like that, we're going to have a lot of the same problems. And until we start having a movement like that, we can't build for a broader revolutionary movement that changes the whole economic system. You are tuned in to KBOO Portland. I am your host, Taria Autry. This is Poetic License. Earlier... You heard clips and background music from KRS-One Illegal Business, as well as Public Enemy Shut Him Down. We also heard instrumentals from the song Underdogs off Steal This Album by The Coup. I am so excited to share with you this interview with Boots Riley of The Coup. I just want to give you a little warning there will be some language, which is why I do my show after 10 p.m. The song you're listening to now is called I Know You. It's off the album Kill My Landlord, the very first full album by The Coup, the one that I was lucky enough to play some violin on. You'll hear it in the background. I know you motherfucker, my face prints in your knuckles Hit my head back to the rear and I can hear my knees buckle When you chuckle as the blow blurred my vision You make a game trying to tame me for colonialism The stars and bars are you need to make a perfect prison No chains of fences here so you can make me think I've risen I'm giving rations on the first and fifteenth Just so I won't be out organizing in the street And so I'm beaten in the court with charges Trump seat my eye is swollen and my nose looks like Humpty's But I'm not laughing cause I'll take a bath in this one The judge is looking at me like he wants to have me hung I never swung, I got the dung kicked out my ass Like OPD was using me for beat the nigga class Step one, put the handcuffs on Step two, say something like Nigger, you're gonna learn Step three, throw him down on the ground Step four, kick him, of course but there's an error 
Terror in your reign of terror and your end is near We ain't non-violent no more, so get your ride gear Stand in fear and guard your rear as we gather round and fuck you up so much They'll have to fuck you down, assuming the position that you'll have to wear a bulletproof vest on your chest I suggest you change your address, cause we know you We know you in Oakland, California, the home and founding birthplace of the Black Panther Party. How did growing up there shape your consciousness and your worldview? Uh, you know, it's always hard to answer that because you grew up where you grew up. You don't, you don't have, so it's not a petri dish where you can compare it to something else. It's interesting. Uh, people ask that question a lot. And I was born in 71. By the time the 80s came around, I was nine. And that's about the time you start becoming more aware of what's happening politically around. And I just remember that by the time I was in high school, um, because I'd been doing some actions of organizing, the principal said over the loudspeaker, don't trust Raymond Riley. He's a communist and he wants to take us back to the days of the Black Panther Party. And the truth is, is that none of us at school knew who the Black Panther Party was or what they were, why they existed. We didn't know that stuff in Oakland, California. Um, one, you know, this is by this time, 85, 86, and five years to somebody young is pretty, is a long time. True. Right? Very true. And the other thing being is that the Panthers their legacy is bigger than they were at the time. By 1970, most of their rallies were, were white. This is according to like books by David Hilliard and things like that. And that has to do with, to me, the mistake that they made that many organizations make, which is having the spectacle be the forefront. And, um, and that's not to negate all the other things they did, which was like free breakfast programs and things like that. But people are trying to figure out how to utilize their power to survive. But I will say this, that so we didn't know whatever that the reasons were, because that's my, that's my theory on why it wasn't known, but also, you know, the fact that they weren't talked about to us. When, when we asked the teachers at Oakland High School who the Panthers were, when people were asking, you know, what, because they attacked me by comparing me to the Panthers, several teachers said, oh, the Black Panthers, they were like the, the black version of the KKK. We didn't have the tools to argue with them because we, didn't, we couldn't cite dates. And, and matter of fact, there were a few people that were named after Panthers. There were two girls named Erica that were named after Erica Huggins. So I'm saying that to say this, that there's this view of growing up in Oakland that it, it supposedly just makes you a radical. And it doesn't. It has the same, we have, have the same problems and struggles with that. They do all over the world. And I think that, that one of the differences may have been that because of that perception, folks that were radical organizers did try to focus on the Bay Area. And, and you see that coming out in other ways. But, you know, I think there were radical things going on all over the country. And in the 80s, there were less radical things going on all over the country, you know, so. Definitely. Yeah. Not too long after we worked on that album, I ended up moving to Chicago. And I remember 
I was watching one of those video channels like on cable that plays music videos all day, like a video jukebox type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Fat Cat's Big A Fish came on and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, it's Boots and the Coo. Now, that song's off Genocide and Juice and it talks about uh, a hustler who's like kind of running game in the streets, but then points to the larger hustle, which is that of de development and taking over of neighborhoods and this idea of gentrification. So that album came out in 94, and here it is, 2016. Can we talk a little bit about what you've seen transform and change in the city of Oakland? Well, a lot of people and families that used to live here don't live here anymore. Rent is at such a crazy level that the average job you could get here, you, you, you wouldn't be able to afford it. So it's, you know, to a certain extent, um, it's turning Oakland into a suburb because you'd have to go somewhere else to work in order to maintain rent for here. So you're working in San Francisco. In order to have a viable art community and in this case we're talking about and I'm thinking specifically of music you have to have cheap rent so there's less going on music wise in Oakland um, because people have had to move there are more venues than we didn't used to have venues we didn't used to have um, places that we could perform that you know that we didn't have to rent out ourselves like we used to rent out union halls or, you know, whatever, a cafeteria of a school, gymnasium, things like that to, to do shows in Oakland. And now there are venues and we can do those things and you can get some, you know, expensive bourbon or something like that. And, you know, there are some things to that, you know, that, that, that you can have. A lot of things have gotten fixed up that wouldn't have gotten fixed up before. What's happened is an example of how development does not mean that it's for the people that live in that town. Development has been something that has uh, been put up as the holy grail since the 80s for places like Oakland hey, we want this because we want to get developers here. We want to do this. Oh, we've got to reduce crime because other, that way developers will get here, things like that. And even that, and, and that is put up as the answer to the problems. Like we'll get developers in here, we'll get jobs, things like that. But you, you could possibly make your town to where you get businesses coming in, but they're bringing people with them that they'll hire. They're not hiring people from that that area. The things that they're doing are not for the people that live in that area. Like so for instance, twenty years ago they built an ice skating rink in Oakland when there still was mostly black folks. And they wouldn't let a roller rink happen. Are you trying to say that we, we don't ice skate as much as we roller not skate? Much, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. You know? And then you have you had certain black business leaders that were like trying to figure out the problem of like how do we make black owned businesses that um black people support? I'm like, okay, we'll stop making coffee shops, right? Mm-hmm. Make some pool halls. All the places that black folks hang around are places that got demonized. That's true. There's a stigma around the ways in which we share and occupy space. Yeah, and, and those are places that even to this day, like, oh yeah, okay, we'll make a pool hall, but let's make sure the right people come. And even so-called uh, conscious black folks would have made a few spaces in Oakland through the 90s where they discriminated against people that looked like they were from that area. And I had talks with them. One example was when a place called the Upper Room was 
in San Francisco, and some of those folks are my friends, so we had open discussions about this. But the dude that was running it had a lot of great intentions. I saw him one time just not letting some folks that were, this was in San Francisco, not letting some folks that were from the Fillmore in there. And this is in, the place was in Hayes Valley, which is right down the street from Fillmore. And he was just like, nope, it's a private party. Nope, it's a private party. And I knew it wasn't. So I said to him, what's that all about? And he said, yeah, I could tell they were dressed like knuckleheads. So I wasn't letting them in. And what, what looked like the right dress code to him was at the time, if you had dreads or if you look, you know, whatever, like alternative in, in some way, shape or form. A lot of the myth about black on black crime was used to allow certain kind of development, certain kind of cultural changes happen and all sorts of stuff like that. So growing up in the, in the 80s, and being here in the 90s until now, you heard a lot about why certain events couldn't happen because black on black crime has gotten out of control and it's just not true. Because I, I watched those debates just to see what everybody was watching. One thing that was mentioned was like, okay, in Chicago, 4,000 people died in the last eight years or something like that. The number kept changing and the time frame yeah. kept changing as they were saying those numbers. It was fascinating. Th those, those numbers are roughly true. However, in the 1970s, if you look on Wikipedia, it was twice as many. It was, it was twice as many in, 19, in, in the mid-1970s. So the point is the idea black on black murder is rising is a bill of it's a false notion we, yeah we, that we've been sold and that's been sold to us not only by the right wing but like you know supposedly conscious rappers who were rapping and telling us about how we're doing the killing ourselves and when in reality then what I was just talking about was just Chicago but overall CDC statistics show that in 1950 there was a third more black on black killings than there were today and in 1970 there was 75% more black on black killings than there were today and it got it's gone down steadily since 1970 so in the 80s when we're hearing all this stuff about crime and bloods and crips and all that kind of stuff it was all hoopla there was less black on black killings in the 80s and they were in the 60s you know so this idea of black on black crime ends up forming these these questions like well why are people doing this and what's going on and what's wrong with the culture that's making us do these things so we're asking the wrong questions because we've got faulty information about what's actually happening and yeah the truth is is people do know folks that have died. Yeah, you can get a lot of anecdotal evidence and a lot of it is very sad. But that same sad anecdotal evidence and more was happening during the time of the Civil Rights Movement, during the 1950s, during the 1940s. Yeah, there were just as many grieving mothers during the Civil Rights Movement, during all these other things. And the news did try to say, oh, they shouldn't be talking about civil rights, they should be trying to they should be dealing with what's happening in their own communities and how they're keeping themselves down. But people didn't buy all of that because black folks probably didn't believe the media as much as we do now. Yeah, the media's a very pervasive force in ways that it hasn't been in the past with social media, with smartphones, with various technology, which looks a lot different than just having say news broadcasts at you know five six ten eleven and going out and buying the newspaper not that those things weren't also deceptive but the inundation with news yeah. is really different it's almost 10 o'clock see i got a ball of lip for property so i slip my penny on sloppily 
and promenade out to take up a collection. I got game like I read the directions. I'm wishing that I had an automobile as I feel the cold wind rush past. But let me state that I'm a hustler for real, so you know I got the stolen bus pass. Just as the bus pulls up and I step to the rhythm, so lady look like she drank a 40 or 50. I see my old school partner say his brother got popped. Pay my respects. Can you ring the bell? We came to my stop. The street light reflects off the piss on the ground, which reflects off the hamburger sign that turns round, which reflects off the chrome of the BMW, which reflects off the fact that I'm broke. Now what the fuck is new? I need new. I spot the motherfucker in the tweet suit. I'm in his ass quicker than a kick from a grease boot. Eased up slow in the street. Could tell he was suspicious by the way he slid his feet. Didn't wanna fuck up the come up, so I smiled with my eyes. Said, Hey, how's it hanging, guy? Bumped into his shoulder, but he passed with no reaction. Damn, this motherfucker had hella Andrew Jacksons. I'm a thief or pickpocket, give a fuck what you call it. Used to call him fat cats, I just call him Wallace. Getting federal, ain't just a klepto. Mastercard and Visa, I gladly accept those. Sneaky motherfucker with a scam, know how to pull it. Got a mirror in my pocket, but that won't stop no bullets. Story just begun, but you already know, ain't no need to get down. Shit, I'm already low. In the darkness, my teeth clench tight like a fist in the cold sharpness. I look down and I hear my stomach growling. Step to Burger King to attack it like a shaolin. I never pay for shit that I can get by doing dirt. Linger to the girl cashier and start to flirt. All up in her face and her breath was like murder. Damn, what should I do for a free hamburger? Well, you got my number. You gonna call me tonight? It depends. It's them burgers attached to a price. I'm just kidding. I'ma call, even write you love letters. Thanks for the burgers. Um, hook me up with a Dr. Pepper. That's cool. You want some ice? Yeah, and some fries would be hella nice. Damn, my manager is coming. Play it off, okay? Have a nice day. I'm about to hear anyway. I use peoples before they use me. 'Cause you could get got by an OZ over OZ. That's what an OG told me. Got to find some place warm and cozy to eat the vittles that I just got. Came to an underground parking lot. This place is good as any. Fuck it, it's all good. Walked in, found a car, hopped and set up on the hood. Ate my burger, threw back my cola. Somebody said, hey, it was a rental pig. I thought it was a roller. Want me to call the cops? I don't want them to see me. Looked down, saw that I was sitting on a Lamborghini. It was roses, Ferraris, and Jags by the dozen. A building door opened. Damn, it was my cousin. Getting off of work, dressed up, no lie. Tux, cover button, and a black bow tie. Was like, hey, who is it? Me. Oh, what's up, man? I just went this company. They hella racist and the pay was too low. I said, right, what was up in there, though? A party with rich motherfuckers. I don't know the situation. I know they got cabbage and all corporations. IBM Chrysler and shit is what they said. Just then a light bulb went off in my head. They be thinking all black folks is resembling. Give me your tux and I do some pockets willing. Finna change in the bathroom and I freeze off my nuts. Let's take a short break while I get into this tux. I'm ready. Like a million bucks, I'll be the flyest motherfucker in the Afro in a tux. My arm is at a right angle up, silver tray in my hand. May I interest you in some caviar, ma'am? My eye shoots round the room, there and here, noticing the diamonds and the chandelier. Background: Barry Manilow, Copacabana, and a strong ass scent of stogies from Havana. What no place where a brother might bend? Snobby old ladies drinking champagne with rich white men. All right then, let's begin this. Nights like this is good for business. Five minutes in the mix, notice several different clicks talking, giggling and shit with one motherfucker in betwixt, and everybody else jacking him, throttling. Found out later he on Coca-Cola bottling, talking to a black man. Who's he? Confused me, looking hella bougie, ass all tight and sedity. Recognize him as the mayor of my city, who treats young black men like Frank Nitti. Mr. Coke said to Mr. Mayor, you know we got a process like Ice-T's hair. We put up the funds for your election campaign, and oh um, waiter, can you bring the Champagne. Our real estate firm says opportunities arousing to make some condos out of low-income housing immediately. We need.
beats a media hit To say that gangs run the street and then we bring in the police fleet Harassing beat everybody till they look inebriated When we buy the land, motherfuckers will appreciate it Don't worry about the Urban League of Jesse Jackson My man that owns Marlboro donated a fat sum That's when I stepped back some To contemplate what you know Sat down, wrestled with my thoughts like a sumo Ain't no one player that could beat this lunacy Ain't no hustler on the street could do a whole community This is how deep shit could get It reads macaroni on my birth certificate Putting Tang is my middle name But I can't hang, I'm getting hustled Only knowing half the game Hey, what's happening? This is Boots Riley You're listening to Poetic License On KBOO Portland In the 90s here in Oakland We had bands on hip-hop Actually, they had bands on hip-hop All over the country A guy named Billy Jam was keeping track of that at the time And, and so in the mid-90s In Oakland You couldn't throw a hip-hop party Unless you were a venue Which, again, they were weren't many of those and the ones that existed were weren't having hip-hop shows unless you were like a gigantic artist so to throw anything else you needed to get a uh, permit and the police were not giving out permits for anything that had to do with hip-hop Tupac as much as people talk about he was from Oakland he couldn't do a show in Oakland we couldn't do shows in Oakland yeah when I saw Tupac in concert it was like one of those large summer jams that was happening at, was it the Shoreline Amphitheater? Is oh, that what it's yeah, called? Yeah. Mountain View? Yeah, 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 yeah. So bands like that were supported by not only developers, but certain segments of black city leadership. Matter of fact, it was a black mayor at the time. But what they sold to people was this idea of development that these are things that are hindrances to development and us getting these companies in that will provide tax dollars and so on and so forth. So now we've got Oakland with great bike lanes and all that kind of stuff, but none of the people that used to ride bikes because they couldn't afford cars are able to enjoy it. And this, of course, is happening all over the country because as you say this, you know, even though the demographic of black people looks really different in Oregon and in Portland, it's the same story. When, especially when you say that part about the people who rode bicycles because it was economical. Um, now there are bike lanes throughout North and Northeast Portland, but they weren't put there for us. They were put there for, you know, the folks that, exactly. you know, were able to afford moving in. So one of the many things that I love about the coup is that you perform with a live band. Can you tell me a little bit about how the band came together? As you know, because you were one of the people, we've always had live instruments on our records since the very first album. Only the drums were pre-programmed. So we had a lot of musicians and we, we couldn't take people on the road. We weren't making enough on there. So starting in about 98 though, we started taking people on the road that had been playing with us and um, including drums. And that came about from just the folks again that we've been working with. We had like a group of maybe 12 people that would go in and out and do different shows that all played together separately because there's a, a scene of folks that are in the Bay Area, in Oakland specifically, that make their money playing at churches, you know, but they then play on people's albums and things like that. And they all, they, they play together. So they kind of have some, some rapport. And so for a while we had it like 12 different people that would come in and out and we'd only, we'd have six people on stage. But I think starting in around 2004, it solidified to, started solidifying into who was uh, coming in and on and off the stage into, into one thing. But yeah, I, I think I started doing live instruments just because I wanted to have a different mix. I didn't want that kind of East Coast sound where they've got a sample and then they've got to throw the drums way louder on top and then the the voice is somewhere floating over that. I didn't like that sound. I actually I think 
maybe was at first trying to get more of a Dr. Dre sound, but, you know, even though I know I didn't get anywhere near that, which he used a lot of live instruments too. How did Silky join the crew? How'd you come across Silky? Um, she started performing with us in like 2003. And, and uh, she, I, I knew her from 1999. She had, she, she actually won this contest on MTV to have her video played and all this kind of stuff. She, she won a contest as a rapper where Karis won, um, actually said on, on that show, I forget what it was, what the name of it was, but it was like, that's the best female rapper I've ever seen. And she, she said, and so she had these videos that would play. So I met her in 99. And then I think in 2002, a friend of mine, Martin Luther, um, had her singing on his album. And I was like, who is that that sounds like Tina Turner? And he was like, oh, that's Silky. Like, oh, she needs to change her name because there's already a rapper named Silky. But the point is she hadn't told anybody that she also sang. So, nice. yes. So then that's how that came about. I asked her to come sing on some stuff in the studio, and she, she ended up performing with us. And one of the many songs that she's on that um, I love, it's on Pick a Bigger Weapon, is baby let's have a baby before Bush do something crazy. Baby, let's have a baby before Bush do something crazy. Baby, let's have a baby before Bush do Give a chance to let our love 
get our money right But we could take off this past tonight Bombs going off everywhere The police got me running scared But I still got some love to share But so just stop smoking squares Baby, let's have a baby Before Bush to sun Now we've had uh, two terms of President Barack Obama, and I'm curious, um, you know, coming into this 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 election and this next four-year term, or potentially eight, what concerns, expectations, thoughts that come to you in this upcoming election season? One of the things that happened while Bush was in office is that people were very outwardly against the war because, and, and, but, but put it all on Bush. And then there wasn't really much of a movement to say anything about the warlike attacks and the war that Obama was waging. And, you know, and because people decided to give him a pass. And that's what it what happens with many Democratic presidents. People don't people don't come out as much to uh, people don't voice their opposition to what's going on in the world, right? And often, what would be a more radical movement turns into a vote the Democrat in movement. We saw that with the first anti-war movement, the first. Iraq anti-Iraq war movement that turned into a pro-carry movement, and then it got that whole movement got dissipated because it got turned into a pro-carry movement. Then it built up again to a pro-Obama. It built up again to an anti-war movement, and that got turned into a pro-Obama movement. And since then, you know, you you haven't seen a whole lot of worry about whatever wars the U.S. is in. And so my big concern is that people put a lot of their energy into these elections and a lot of faith in the outcome of them and lose sight of the fact that we that that no matter who is elected, you can make whatever politician do what you want if you have a mass militant radical movement. Uh, I mean, affirmative action came in under Nixon, not because he was a good person, but because there was mass movement happening and they needed to do that as a compromise. You know, even you know, civil rights. The civil rights legislation didn't happen because there was this big movement by radicals who said, "Okay, we got to get JFK elected." No, it happened because people joined these movements and 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 they were afraid of it turning into something else. My my fear is people is every election allows us to lose sight of what actually makes change in the world. In your dollars with telekinesis I done tried every day and that shit decreases Anti that anti-crime bill pieces We need cash and that's the anti-thesis I'm pro-overthrow of the hip-hop nation Pro laying low till I'm on probation Pro-people control of the cash and corporations Pro-prophylactic yet pro-creation Anti-water-down drinks and fancy cups Anti-promoters who don't anti-up But I'm not anti-slub I know that power is the most effective anti-drug I'm pro-Zapatista, pro-Cuba, Viva Polarizer saying fuck La Migra Policia say Asesina Let me show you what I mean I'm anti-Republican and Democratic If they self-destruct, that's anti-climatic Tired of being honey like an antelope Take the system by the throat, that's the antidote So I pose a proposition 
Take a look, be in support of opposition Do be proactive, proceed with confidence Cause you know that you can't change shit by riding the fence Ride the fence Now you don't really wanna ride the fence Now do you really wanna This is Boots Riley. You're listening to the Sweet Sounds Poetic License on KBOO Portland. And that song was Ride the Fence, also for the album Party Music. It was great to see you recently when I was in California, especially since usually when we see each other, it's after a show. A bunch of people are standing around <laughs> asking you really <laughs> ridiculous questions and, uh, and whatnot. And so I just wanted to mention that, you know, here you are, you're performing all over the world. You've, you know, been part of multiple albums, worked with various musical groups and lots of projects. And yet, you know, you're not a flashy person. You, you're not riding in a luxury car, you know, and flossing, um, which many people tend to associate with folks that are involved um, in hip hop and are hip hop artists. Give me a chance to get some money before, at least give me a chance to sell out before. Commend <laughs> me for not selling out. Oh, and see, what I was going to ask you is how you managed to stay so down to earth. Yeah, yeah, it's managed for me. The truth is, if I did get a million dollars, it would all be spent on various projects that I want to see happen already. So, uh, you know, which wouldn't be on myself. I might make it so that I'm not still constantly worried about making rent happen. But it's just about what I got into it for in the first place, you know. I have so many plans of what needs to get done that it wouldn't be able to get spit on the luxury car or anything like that. Now if you're getting in my car, don't sit down right away Cause the passenger seat tilts sideways And don't even try to lean the shit back The whole damn thing will fall off the track Stick your hand out and signal for a ride My window's stuck, plus I got a broken turn light Now I ain't dipping, sometime I get a stuck brake Got my rear view attached with some duct tape Keep your knee right there I'm trying to keep the glove compartment closed, player The seatbelt don't work, just tie around your waist If you crash through the window, just cover your face The radio, get one station on AM It's Chinese, but if you listen, you can catch what they saying Stop complaining, I heard what you said So what the sea spring poked you in the leg? Didn't know it stabbed you, but what you stopping for? You finna put your foot through that hole in the flow Man, you ain't nothing but a whiner I almost worked into them bushes and scratched up the primer Yeah, I know it's two shades I'm finna paint it money green when I get paid Now what you say, you gon' sue me? Oh, because the baby hurt his leg and got a boobie Now your feelings hurt, you wanna get up out my shit? Cool, motherfucker, here you go, get your kicks You need to act a little older If you want that door to open, you gon' have to use your shoulder Get the fuck up out, fool, you lose, why? My car is better than your shoe Six pin up with some knockoff. Catching 
must be getting me to work late And you know that slow down my pay rate Down to zero No alignment make it kinda hard to steer though They need to pay me for all these adventures Tell them to my grandkids when I got dentures Making a buck really cost a buck fifty Something that cheap if your car's shitty Motherfuckers laughing but it beats the AC Transit Blues Shit, my car is better than my shoes That was Cars and Shoes off Steal This Album by The Coup. I'm Taria Autry, and you are tuned in to KBOO Portland and another episode of Poetic License. And I am so pleased to be bringing to you this interview with Boots Riley from The Coup. I've had things put in front of me that would have made life easier, but it would have also made people hear my music in certain ways like you know that that would have negated all of that stuff so you know like we got offered a bunch of money to make magic clap the taco bell thing oh my gosh (laughs) you know like yeah and you know i mean that, that that was pretty easy you know to to do like as far as you know definitely don't want that to happen but it also I also realized that no matter what that corporate connection was even if I it was somebody that could justify that it would make people hear that song and my music differently you know like not even just I'm not talking about just progressive and radical folks that are like oh fuck why did he do that but just average everyday people that might hear it and then they listen to that song and connect it with Taco Bell, you know? Right. So It's a very would, different representation. You know, it, it would destroy the reason that I'm doing that. And, so, and that might even go for the rest of other songs that they hear. So then it would just, you know, mess up all of this other work that I did. Well, I'm not pleased at your um, financial turmoil or economic circumstances not being you know, as ideal as you might like, I am really thankful and appreciative of, you know, the integrity with which you create music and, you know, know that in my workout mix and, you know, in my day-to-day life, oftentimes it's your voice and the music of the coup that, you know, helps me get through the day and remember, you know, that you know, there's good things out there. So I definitely appreciate you for that. Um, yeah, no, thank you. You were working on some projects with Sundance. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you've been working on through that? I wrote this screenplay that we're making into a movie. I'm directing it. Uh, we're filming it in late February. It's a surreal, dark comedy with magical realism and science fiction inspired by my time as a telemarketer. It's called Sorry to Bother You. Sounds incredible. We're making a new album that will be the soundtrack to the movie. The score for the movie will be done by Tune Yards, actually. Now, if people who are listening to this want to keep track of where you're performing and what you're up to and when these things are getting released, where's the best place for them to find out more information about what you're up to? The Coup has a Facebook page, and the movie, Sorry to Bother You, has a Facebook page. There's a Boots Riley Facebook page, and then there's Boots Riley Twitter, and Instagram. So I want to thank you so much again for taking some time to join me on Poetic License here on KBOO Portland. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. And if you want to check out more episodes, you can visit my website at tariaautry.com. That's T-U-R-I-Y-A-A-U-T-R-Y.com. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here.
you're forever This is the last kiss Martin Navigator Coretta It's like a paparazzi picture When I flash my Beretta I got scars on my back The truth on my tongue I had the money in my hand When that alarm got wrong We wanna refine freedom From our lawns to homeland security We are the You are tuned to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM. Tonight, the Ubu Hour. Today is May Day. May Day. May Day. May Day. This is an emergency. This is an emergency. This is an emergency. This is an Our opponents, the media, emergency. and the whole world this will soon see, as we begin to take this further actions, that the this powers of the emergency. president are very substantial and will emergency. not be questioned. I'm not stupid. This is an Rachel, can they just go away? We have a national emergency. Our country is under threat. 